so we've been covering a lot of prophecy lately. A few weeks ago, we jumped back into Daniel. Because the way we're preaching this, this book of Matthew is we're going through it and teaching it in series, uh, broken down into smaller series so we can more adequately cover everything. Uh, but today, we're going to continue on in verse 24. Uh, and there's just so much. Last week, I just loved what we got to learn last week, learning about the appearance of Christ at his second coming. So we really looked into what it was going to be like last week uh, at the second coming of Christ at the end of the 70th week. And we found out that he's going to be coming like the Lion of Judea. We found that he's going to be coming, uh, and he's going to be rescuing those who believe, the Gentiles and Jews, during that tribulation period. And those who remain, who didn't believe, will have to face the great wrath of God. It said they would be greatly mourning. But today we're going to discuss some signs uh, that will be apparent at that second coming at the end of the 70th week. Okay, So a lot of people may wonder why these signs are important to know for believers, why we're going to cover these. First of all, we're covering them because it's in there, okay? Uh, and second of all, it's simple. See, since the rapture could happen any day, now we've established that. The rapture could happen right now, right? We have no idea when it's going to happen, but the next thing to happen in the, in the scale of theology, or eschatology rather, is the rapture. That's the next thing to happen. So we have to remember time is not on our side, okay? We're getting closer every day. Time is not on our side. And knowing that these things are right around the corner should inspire us to do something, should inspire us to try to persuade people to make changes because there's still time for them to change, right? And these things are very, very important because until the rapture comes, what we should be doing, because I think a lot of believers, I hear this all the time, and I'm guilty of saying it. We say, I just, I just wish the Lord would come back. That's true. I do wish he would come back, but it is also kind of selfish because there's a lot of people that are going to be left here, you know, to face some of the terrible things we've been studying. So um, the reason this is so important is we need to be sharing this, and even if they don't believe, they could, they could re- maybe remember this when they're going through that terrible time. Okay, let's go ahead and jump in today. Matthew 24, starting in verse 32. Jesus says, Now learn the parable. Underscore learn if you're following along in your Bibles. Learn the parable uh, from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he, meaning the Messiah, is near right at the door. Now this is talking about the second coming, the Messiah at the end of the tribulation period. So he begins this discussion by using a really relatable illustration. Did you ever notice that Jesus always taught people right where they were? He never tried to shoot over people's head. He never tried to impress people with his wisdom, despite the fact that he was the wisest to ever live. He always went right where people were to reach them with illustrations and examples they could understand. And this is one of those. Because, see, the disciples were very familiar with fig trees, and so were all the Jews. Because the fig tree had provided food and income for the Jewish people for, I mean, just centuries. It had provided it. They knew so much about the fig tree and the cultivation of it. Right, So this fig tree illustration, when he said these things, it would have made perfect sense to them, and it would have been a great way to illustrate his point. Now, when he said learn, remember he said learn from the fig tree. I told you to underscore that. This isn't learn like in the casual sense of learn. And there is a casual sense. Have you ever had someone try to teach you something, and you could really care less? You're like going, mm-hmm, waiting for him to get done, and you're not even really listening. You ever been there? Yeah, I mean, that pretty much describes my entire high school experience, but... um. But they're just sitting there going, you know, you're just kind of going, okay, yep, 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 got it, see ya. You ever see your kids do that? 
you know, here's how I want you to do it. Put the roast in, put this much water, and they're going, yep, yep, got it, got it. You come home, the house is full of smoke. That's the kind of learn that a lot of people are thinking about, but this isn't the kind of learn that's used in the Greek here. It's not in the casual sense. I mean, it actually implied a great reflection on the information given, like it was vital or, or life-saving. That's the kind of, 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 uh, of the word learn we're looking at here. It's very, very pointed, okay? And the best way I could illustrate it to you is, imagine your child is really sick, and they release him from the hospital, and the doctor says, listen, pay careful attention. Here's how you have to give him this medication if you want him to get better. We are going to listen very carefully then, aren't we? We're going to write it down. We're going to make sure everybody in the house knows this is how you medicate. And I paid very close attention. That's the kind of attention uh, Jesus wanted them to pay to this because what he was about to tell them was really vital. And then he says, well, when you see that the fig tree's leaves are starting to come on, you guys are all, you know, farmers. You guys know a lot about fig trees. You know that that means summer is near. The fruit's about to come on, so summer's near. Now, it's no coincidence that Jesus was teaching this on the Mount of Olives, right? We've, we've said that a few times. Now, on the Mount of Olives, there were obviously what kind of trees? Olive trees, hence the name, right? But what some people may not know is there were also groves and groves and groves of fig trees all around them with the olives. There were olive groves and there were fig groves. And, and some of these fig trees would get up to 20 feet tall. So imagine he's talking about fig trees as they can look out over the valleys and see just groves of fig trees, some 20 feet tall. So, I mean, this was just a great visual illustration, right? But the fig tree was something they were so used to, and then having this visual, he thought this would make a really, really good illustration. But what he's trying to tie together here is he's saying, yes, Israel knows their fig trees, but there's something Israel knows more about than they know about fig trees. Any guesses what that is? It's the Word of God. They know more about the. It doesn't seem like it, right? Because they keep making all these mistakes. But you have to remember, they were entrusted with the Word of God. God left the Word of God with the nation of Israel and said, preserve it, know it, make sure it stands the test of time. This is yours to guard, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 1 says, uh, then what advantage has the Jew or what benefit of circumcision great in every respect first of all that they were entrusted with the oracles or writings of god okay so they knew that as well as they knew or better than as they knew cultivating fig trees right so he's saying you just like you can recognize when you see the fig tree start to get leaves that summer is coming because you know them so well just like you should be able to recognize that you should also be able to recognize the signs of the second coming because you know what it says you just haven't allowed it to work in your lives right they were so distracted by religion right they were so distracted with self-righteousness they were so distracted with power that what should have been impacting their lives the word of god and what it's teaching had kind of stepped out of their life and so they were forgetting things that were very very important to them see it was more important for them to look righteous than to be righteous. So they didn't really have to read a whole lot just to look righteous. But because they had drifted away from the word of God, he's now explaining something very important to them that they really needed to know because the knowledge of the word of God just really hadn't impacted their lives and they weren't allowing it to impact their lives anymore. Right? And you know what's sad is sometimes we don't allow that either. You know, 
I know I hound on this all the time. It could be because it's my job. But the Word of God should be the driving factor in our lives. It should be the, the thing that answers questions, gives us direction, gives us hope. I mean, gives us our strength. But like the Jews, we've kind of drifted away from it. We're not allowing it to impact our lives anymore. And we kind of wonder why we're spiritually a train wreck. We'll talk about that a little more later, but it's, it's kind of like what's going on here with the Jews. They were not allowing it to impact their lives. So Jesus says, you know, just kind of like you know this fig tree, you know the word of God. You can tell when the fig tree is going to produce fruit. Well, you should be able to tell when the end is near, when the second coming is right at the door. You should be able to know that, right? So it's, watch, the, watch how he does this. So here's his deal is he's hoping that, yeah, you guys have forgotten about this, but maybe I can inspire you for future generations, right? Ma- Matthew twenty four thirty three says, So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he, or the Messiah, is near right at the door. Okay, now, what did Jesus mean when he said all these things? He said, when you see all these things, what did he mean by all these things? What he meant was all the signs that we have discussed since verse 5 of Matthew 24. I'm not going to give you all of them, but you guys remember there were wars and rumors of war, right? All right it says that there would be, you know, false Christs. It says that there are going to be celestial and earthly disasters on a scale like we've never seen before. There's going to be the abomination, desolation, which is who? The Antichrist coming into the, into the temple. There's all these things he's saying. Basically, when you see the events of the 70th week coming to pass... That tribulation period coming to pass. Know that the second coming is very, very close. Okay, this is what he was trying to tell him. So by all these things, that's what he meant, right? Know that it's near. Now, this hadn't happened yet. So why teach about this? The rapture hasn't even happened yet. Why are we teaching about this? Since we know this is going to happen after the tribulation period or the 70th week, Right? And we know that we're going to be gone with the rapture that happens before the 70th week. A lot of people are like, well, so, so why are we teaching this? Right? The same reason he was teaching the Jews. They'd lost sight of their prophecies, and he wanted them to get it back in their lives so that they could teach their children. And it's the same thing he wants in our lives. He wants us to know these things so that, you know what? Maybe our kids won't believe. Maybe our friends and family won't believe when they hear us present the gospel. But maybe we'll plan to see that they'll remember If they're left behind, that's so important to remember. So the next thing that he said to them, and it's kind of funny, the things that people take time to debate, but actually has become a topic of great debate among theologians, shocker. Uh, Matthew 24, 34 says, truly, I say to you, this generation, underscore that, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What are all these things? All the stuff we talked about happening in the tribulation period, right? It says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. So a lot of people say, well, what did Jesus mean when he said this generation will not pass away? Right? Some skeptics even say, well, that shows that the Bible's wrong because he said that generation wouldn't pass away until the second coming and and they passed away. They're all dead now. Okay, you're not following if that's the way you believe. Obviously, he wasn't speaking to that current generation because they're dead. And the second coming has not happened yet. That's not the generation he was talking to, right? He was talking to the generation who would witness all these things. 
He's saying the generation that witnesses all the events of the 70th week, remember the abomination of desolation, all those things, wars, rumors of war, all those things, the generation that sees that will also see the second coming of Christ. That's what he was talking about. It seems to me that the context makes that pretty clear, wouldn't you think? But there are a lot of theologians that like waste a lot of time, which I kind of think is a prereq for being a theologian sometimes. They waste a lot of time fighting over stuff like this that means nothing. But it's pretty simple. He's saying the same people that see these things, the events of the 70th week, they will see the second coming of Christ. Right now, remember, the disciples believed that the rapture could happen any day. So this was important to them, this information he was giving them. This was important to them because they, need, they knew they needed to get this out to people in case, you know, a lot didn't believe they would have this information. But in their mind, the disciples, as you read through the New Testament, you'll see that they really believed that tomorrow could be the rapture. Now, we have some information they didn't have. We know that the, that attack by Titus in 70 AD had to happen first. They didn't know that. But they thought it was right there. I mean, right at the door. Right. But what Jesus said is like no one knows when the rapture is coming. So also no one knows exactly when this the second coming is going to happen. If you look at Matthew 24, 36. It says, but of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. Now, no one knew because if they did, they'd procrastinate. We've talked about that time and time again. Right. If if you know you have time, you take the time. Right. Everybody here, I would assume. How many people, if they know a bill's due on the 15th, pays it on the 1st? You weirdos. If it's due on the 15th, I wait till 11.59 on the 15th. Sin. You know what I mean? But, I mean, that he knows that's how we are. Right? What should happen, what should happen is, is if we knew the end, it should, you know, drive us to do more, to get people, you know, to be passionate about getting people to come into the kingdom before the end. But that's not who we are. We would just wait a lot longer to do anything. That's exactly what would happen. So there's one thing that I always think when I read these passages. And let me know if you've ever thought this. When I read through the scriptures and I see the disciples and the patriarchs thinking that the end could be any second. These people, wouldn't you think it's fair to say that they knew God pretty well? Right? They knew the writings of God pretty well. And in their hearts and in their minds, the rapture could be the very next day. I mean, that's the way they believed. And what always goes through my mind is if they thought the rapture was close then, with all the information they had, how much closer is it now? Anybody ever think about that? I mean, they were convinced it was going to happen any day. Think about now. I mean, it is so much closer than we think. But I think we're kind of like the Jews because we're distracted. We don't even think about it. It's probably going to take us by surprise totally. Now, when it comes, obviously, there'll be the shock value, but I'm not surprised. I know it could happen any day. But I think Christianity as a whole has kind of forgotten about this. A lot of people get saved, go to church that, you know, it's like serving their time. You know, they go to church on Sunday so they can punch the clock, right, and look at their phone the whole time and then, and then leave. Everybody's putting their phones away. Um, right? And... They just put in their time, and they don't really let it affect their lives. We don't really think about it anymore because we're distracted with the worldly pursuits, just like the Jews were, right? But, you know, did you ever think about this? 
we could be that last generation he was talking about. That could be us. Right? Especially if you're an exceptionally young man like myself. I mean, shut it. I mean, if the rapture were to happen today, it's just seven years. I think I got a good seven years left in me. You know what I mean? Seven years would come the second coming. We could be that last generation. But it's funny, we read about these Jews and think, oh, how could they be so distracted not to think about these things that are coming? It's a lot closer now. And I don't know that we think about it a whole lot. We'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. But the next thing we're going to see is Jesus make this very powerful comparison using another illustration he knew they would really get. All right, let's take a look at this. Matthew 24, starting in verse 37. It says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of what? The days of Noah. How many people here know about Noah and the ark? Lord, please. Good. I was going to say, you got to. Kevin's going, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he does announcements. Right, the days of Noah, verse 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this is a really powerful illustration. But to understand it, you've got to know a little bit more about what it was like during the days of Noah. And let's jump back and take a look at that in Genesis chapter 6. Okay, it was tempting to preach about this for the next three weeks, but I'm going to try to not do that. Genesis chapter 6. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Hmm. Does this sound familiar to anybody? We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 6. The Lord, and listen to this. This is a powerful statement. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. Ouch. It says the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, uh, from man to animals to creeping things uh, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so during the times of Noah, people didn't really even give God a second thought. I mean, they didn't even think about it. It says that their thoughts were continually evil. Right? Verse 38 says that they were just eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Now, a lot of people ask me, so what's wrong with that? What's wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage? I could talk to you about marrying, but I'm going to let that go. But eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with any one of those things. Nothing. Praise God there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he was trying to say was their lives were continually evil. They weren't even giving God a second thought. And they were living life like it was no big deal. Just going about their daily routine, totally forgetting about God, and acting like it didn't really matter. That's what he meant. Just going about eating, drinking, having their weddings, going to wedding feasts. And just totally acting like he never existed after everything he'd done for them up to that point. They just acted like he wasn't even a thing. Right? They had rejected him so long and so much, he wasn't even a thought to them anymore. You know what's scary is, this can happen to to a believer even. Not just unbelievers, this can happen to a believer. And it's probably happened to you on a small scale, although I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Have you ever got distracted with something? Maybe you stopped going to church for a while. And you're like, it's always no big deal because I've got your old standby where you can say, you know, if you go to church, you go to heaven. 
People always say that to me. I go, yeah, but you have to go to church if you want to be a good Christian. That's what it says to do. But they stop going to church because, you know, you're busy. Then you stop reading your Bible because, you know, God knows my heart. He knows I love him. I just got so many things going on. Starting to sound familiar? And then the things that used to bother you don't bother you as much. You start noticing that. You know, and you start to forget to pray over your meal. You used to pray every night before you go to bed. Then one day you think to yourself, God, I don't remember the last time I actually prayed. Anybody ever been there? And all of a sudden you go, what the heck is happening to me? How am I drifting? It, it happens. That's the enemy's job to get you distracted. They were so distracted, the world wasn't even giving him a second thought. So for lack of a better word, God just decided he's going to scrap it. He's going to get rid of everything and start over. Right? To get rid of all the evil people. Listen, see if this starts to sound familiar. He's going to remove all the unbelieving people and start over. Okay? Listen to this. Genesis 6.11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. For uh, make for yourself an ark boat of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and it shall co- and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. Take notes in case you ever need to build one. It says the length of the ark is 300 cubits. Right? It's breadth 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. I'm not going to go into the details let me tell you this much. It was flipping huge. Okay, this was a cruise liner before cruise liners were cool. Plus, okay? All right, so it was going to be huge. Uh, it says, you shall make, the window, uh, make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark uh, in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Okay, let me stop for a second. Why did he let, why spiders? Anybody know? <laughs> why? Why? If, it, you know, if it were me, when they, you know, they, they're marching on the boat two by two or whatever, when the spiders come, I went, <laughs> oh, whoops, right? Why spiders? Sorry, that's just my sick mind. I had to bring that up. Why? They terrify me. You ever look over and see a spider on you and your heart falls out your shoes? I hate those things. And sunflowers. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Verse 20. <laughs> of the birds of the air, <laughs> of the birds of the air of their kind, and the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, uh, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. <laughs> As for you, take for yourself some, some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Now this took years to accomplish. Okay, this took years to accomplish. He is building a massive boat in the desert 
to exact specifications, just as God had commanded him to do. Now, imagine how many questions Noah was asked during this time. Just, I mean, just imagine how many questions he was asked. Like, people come up going, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? I'm building a huge boat. And they're like, we're in the desert. You can't even haul that thing. Why are you building that? Questions like that, you know, or people saying, okay, you're building a boat. Why? Why would you build a boat, Noah? Why? Now, Noah, being the man of God he was, probably used that time to preach to him, wouldn't you think? He was a man of God. Almost 100 years he's building this boat. He probably says, well, listen, God told me that he's going to flood the earth. Rain's going to come from the sky. It's going to come from the ground. And he's going to flood the earth and Anything not on that ark is going to be dead. You should join me. You should repent, because he thinks the world is completely evil. You should repent, and you should join me. And you can you imagine him thinking, listen, it hadn't even rained at this time. There had never been rain. The Bible tells us everything was watered from beneath. I'm trying to avoid this, but I'm going to have to tell you because it's on my heart. There was a, have you ever heard of the canopy theory? There was water all the way around the earth in a canopy up until the flood. Do you ever wonder why people live to be seven and 800 years old? Because they've proven using a technique today that mocks that called hydroponics, right? Where the water would filter out a lot of the harmful UV rays. It would enable people to live longer. It was healthier. They, when they tried this, this, uh, this experiment using hydroponics, they would go grapes the size of your fist right? And cantaloupes like this. Can you imagine? I mean, that's why people lived to be so old. That's why things were totally different then. But up to this point, there had not been any water falling from the sky. No one knew what rain was. And here's this guy building a boat saying, yeah, water's going to come from the ground and from the sky, and it's going to cover everything, even the mountain peaks. And the only way you're going to get delivered is to get on this boat. You better, you better believe. And they're probably going, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Right? And as if that wasn't weird enough, there's a guy building a huge, massive ship in the desert, storing up critters on it. Can you imagine? They're like, wow, he's got a huge boat and animals all over the place. Can you imagine what it smelled like around there? I've had people ask me all the time, were dinosaurs real? I say, yes. Why don't they exist now? I say, would you put a T-Rex on a boat with you? <laughs> would you? No, you bring the little things like the lizard-type dinosaurs. You know what I mean? What are those called? Komodo dragons. There we go. Here, I'll take that one. Not so much that one. We're going to let that one go. The boat would land, and there'd be one big fat T-Rex, and everybody else would be gone. But anyway, don't get me distracted. But that's, they were probably thinking he's pretty weird, right? He's building a boat, talking about water falling from the sky, storing up animals, hoarding animals. Okay, so they probably thought... He was crazy, right? So they'd just go on about their lives. Not even thinking anything about God, like they're going to live forever. And everybody ignored him. Everybody probably laughed about him. But you know, in my mind, I just can imagine everybody going, gosh, look at that nut job. He's almost done with that stupid boat. He is almost done with it. Do you know what he told me? He told me that water is going to fall from the sky, and then I see a drop hitting at their feet. Can you imagine? And they're like, close your mouth. You're spitting when you talk. Boom, another one hits, and it starts slowly trickling down. 
I bet their whole opinion of him changes at that point. What do you think? Look at this, Genesis 7:13. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that, that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark uh, to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life uh, and in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed the door behind them. Okay, so they all get in this boat as it starts, the water starts to come, and God himself closes and seals the door. Okay, it says that God closed the door. Now, think about this for a second. People were probably making their way to that boat at that time, wouldn't you think? But once the door was closed, the door was closed. Does this sound familiar about anything? All right, we're going to talk about that. But God himself closes the door. Verse 17, Then the flood came uh, upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered i've had so many people say that is impossible yet they find fish fossils on the top of mountains that is either an olympic flying fish or the water covered it like god said right um it says the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered the water prevailed 15 cubits high 15 cubits higher than the mountains were covered all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts, uh, and every swarming thing. There's your mosquitoes, whoever said that. There you go. Uh, every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all, uh, and all mankind, of all that was on dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out everything that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. Kind of like what last spring felt like. But think about this. It's not too hard to see the comparison between, between this and the second coming. Right? Because there's going to be people during the tribulation period begging people to come to faith. Right? There's going to be people preaching, begging people, saying, we are in this time that God warned us of, the seven-year period, and things are just going to keep getting worse. And at the end of this seven years, he's coming back, and then the door is closed. This is your chance. Right? You can see the comparisons there. See, like Noah, Jesus is going to come at that time, and he's going to gather all those who believe, and they're going to be taken to safety. Right? But for all those who didn't, the door will be closed. And they will have to face God's wrath. And Jesus explains this a little bit more in verses 40 and 41. He says, Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. I'll bet you've heard a million things that you think that's supposed to mean, haven't you? Right? Context determines meaning. We're talking about the second coming. That means that when Jesus comes, the line of Judea, bringing justice, that those who have believed 
he's going to deliver like we studied last week. So one will be taken, one will be left. The one that's left will be the one that just refused to believe. The one that's left would be like the ones who refused to believe what Noah was teaching and saw the ark door closed. This is the comparison he made. And he knew that when they heard that comparison, it would ring very true to them. Because their whole lives they'd probably been told that story, and they probably feared being the ones that were left out and how, feeling how those people might have felt. Right? This is how he describes that second coming. Now, like I said earlier, sadly, the time of Noah sounds all too familiar to me. Because it sounds a lot like our time, doesn't it? Have you noticed that every day in towns around us, people are dying, being shot, abducted? I could, 20 years ago, a murder in Fort Wayne was rare. It didn't happen, like, every night. Right? Burglaries, thefts, I mean... There are so many things on TV that could have never been put on TV even 15 years ago. The things they talk about. The content that's on TV. It's getting worse and worse. It's amazing how people just snub their nose at God anymore. And when I hear about what it was like in the times of Noah, it seems like that now. I mean, everybody is only concerned with filling their needs for the moment. Instant gratification. They want great relationships. They want wealth. They want great vacations. They want toys. They want to worry about their retirement. Get all you can get now. Right? Because if you finish this game rich, you win. Right? Have you noticed that's the mindset? Right? No one talks about God anymore. You know what bothers me is you can't hardly get believers to talk about God anymore. I don't understand that. You know what one of my favorite topics is? The Bible and the Steelers. But the Bible first, seriously. And softball, <laughs> but the Bible first. But I'm just saying, it bothers me when you start to talk to somebody about what happened in church, or you talk to somebody about something you read, and they're almost afraid other people will hear. Have you ever noticed that? They're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that was deep. Because people have separated God from their lives. God is what they do on Sunday when they punch the clock and leave. And after they punch the clock and leave, it's back to me time. Have you notice that? It's a lot like it was in the days of Noah. I mean, very few people like then, very few people now, actually truly honor God in their daily lives. And it, they act like it's no big deal. They don't read. Do you realize when you're not reading, you're not allowing God to speak to you? When you're not praying, you're not speaking to Him? I mean, I think those are pretty important things in a relationship, don't you? There are so many people who do not do that anymore. We, in my opinion, I mean, I don't know how much worse it could be in comparison to Noah's time. That's, that's I mean, that's really, really sad to me. So sadly, I don't think it's just going to be the Jews caught by surprise. Do you? I'm telling you, there are so many people who have totally forgotten about God. I think, I think they'll be just as surprised as the Jews because they're just as distracted as them. And I know a lot of Christians that are going to be really surprised at the rapture. It's a great thing, and you're going to be glad to go. But when they find out they have absolutely no reward in the kingdom, when you're thinking, ah, no big deal, I'm still going to heaven. Yeah, talk to me about that then. It's a very big deal. When you find out of... When God makes us, and the Bible tells us we'll answer for every word spoken, every deed done. When you see all the missed opportunities, when you see all the opportunities you could have served and changed someone's life and God had to pass you over and give that job to someone else, when you see all the blessings you missed, it's not going to be good. 
we're going to be shocked by how distracted we were when that day comes upon us. I mean, it's, as I read this, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be feeling like, man, you know, the Jews had forgotten and the Jews had lost their way. And all I keep thinking about is, man, this is us. We are just as lost. We have lost sight. But you know what? I, I want to finish with good news. Because there is still time to change. There's still time. We could be the last generation. We very well could be. But we have today, so we still have time. And while we have that time, take advantage of it. When that, you know, anybody ever have a person pop into their mind out of nowhere? Anybody ever have that? And you're thinking, why the heck do they get in my mind and you push it out? Anybody ever do that? You ever think that might be God saying, talk to them, the time is short? You ever think about that? Or I wonder how so-and-so is doing, and we go, eh, no biggie, I'll ask somebody later. That ever pop in anybody's mind? That may be God saying, hey, the time is short, but there's still time left to do something. Contact them. There is still time. It's not over yet. And I think we need to remember that. We still have the ability, as long as we're breathing, we still have the ability to impact people's lives. So listen, here's what I've decided. You can be one of those people that boycott everything you don't like, that complain about everything you don't like, or you can be one of those people who does something to change everything you don't like. The people that reach out to others, stop judging them, try to show the love of Christ, try to change what you don't like instead of being the whiner about what you don't like, while we still have time to change, while we still have that time. Because I believe it's very possible we could be that last generation. I really do. Now, could I be wrong? Yeah. Is it worth taking the chance? I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm asking if you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always give an invitation. Here's the thing. I don't just say this stuff to scare you. I mean, when you read the Word of God, there's only one conclusion you can come to. The next thing to happen is the rapture then it's seven years and the second coming. It's very possible we could be that last generation, and the thing that hurts me more than anything is that some of the people who will find themselves left behind, it's not because they weren't able to believe. It's not because God didn't love them enough to give them eternal life. It's simply because they chose not to. And I just don't, my mind can't wrap around that. How we can get to that point. If you don't know Christ, I pray that's your every thought, day and night until you do. And if you know someone that's close to you that doesn't know Christ, I pray that your thought, day and night, is reaching them. Because it is right at the door. So if you don't know Christ, before we close, just make eye contact with me and, and put it right back down. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. I'm just going to pray for you. Bless those people. If you're listening online or watching online, I'll, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. And if you're a believer sitting here today, I'm going to pray that we get our compass set right again. That we get focused the way we're supposed to again. I don't want to be that person that when God is revealing my missed opportunities, 
I don't want to be that person that has so many regrets for all the people I could have reached. I want to be the person that's made changes in people's lives. I'm just going to pray that we get focused again. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we just thank you, God, that despite the fact that we've all but forgotten you in this country, your grace and your love has stayed just as strong. Just like, just like Jesus died on that cross with his arms open, you are still standing with your arms open, welcoming anyone who will believe. So if there's someone here who doesn't know you, just remove the fear from them. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. You've made that clear to us. And let them just believe that what your son did was enough to guarantee their eternal life. Because, Lord, if this is the last generation, I want to be in heaven with them. And, Lord, if all those believers that are here and listening online, it is just so easy to compartmentalize our faith. Our faith is for church or around church people. We, so many of us fall into that trap. Please let us remember this could be the last days and let us work like it's the last days. Give us a passion to reach our family and our friends and our coworkers and our peers. Let us make an impact on this earth so that we know that we've enlarged the borders of the kingdom as much as possible with the opportunities we have. Don't let us be lazy, God. We just thank you, Lord. We ask as we leave here that you would keep us safe, give us a new and renewed fire to do more for you. Let us live what we profess, and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together and praise you and glorify your name like you're so worthy of. We just thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.